I'm going to pray, and then let's get to the word, all right? Sound good? All right, let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for today. God, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for your presence. Lord God, I pray that as we open up your word here this morning, that you would uh, just open up our hearts, Lord God, to receive it. Lord, may we uh, just have open eyes, open ears, open ears, Lord God, to listen to you, to see you for who you truly are, God, and show us more of your glory today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, welcome to church, everyone. Uh, and again, thank you for joining us here this Sunday. Today is the Sunday after Easter, um, also known as National Youth Pastor Gets to Preach Day. Um, and so <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. In all seriousness, I want to thank uh, Pastor Phil for uh, asking me to speak this, this Sunday while he and his family are out on a much-needed vacation. Um, and so we, we're, I'm excited for it. If you don't know me, my name is Steve. I serve as the youth pastor here at BCC. Um, you can usually catch me giving announcements here on any given Sunday, um, but today I get the, the privilege of sharing the Word of God here this morning, and I'm excited uh, for it. Uh, my wife's name is Allie. Allie's over here. Allie, can you wave to everybody real quick? There she is. My wife's name is Allie. Uh, we've been, you can give it up for Allie. Allie and I have been married for two and a half years at this point, which is kind of crazy. It's gone by really, really fast. They say time flies when you're having fun, and that has certainly been uh, the case for us. Um, but one thing that I've learned about marriage is that marriage actually solves all of your problems. Am I right? Mar married people, uh, you, you guys agree with me? You're real loud. Or you're real convincing here, okay? Um, but we laugh. You guys laugh because you know that um, it's not necessarily, you know, not necessarily true. But we all thought that it was true at one point, at least going into marriage. Um, and, and I mean, that's what most movies advertise for us, right? Media, movies, think about any Disney movie that you've seen or a romantic comedy, right? Most movies that you see that revolve around a couple, uh, you know, falling in love usually ends with a couple getting married. And so they may go through the ups and downs of a relationship and overcome obstacles, but the happy ending is always that they get to the wedding day. That's the destination. They live happily ever after, right? And so if you grew up in a Christian church, which I did, like I did, um, sometimes the church can kind of elevate marriage to this pedestal as, as well. I mean, I remember when I was younger feeling that, you know, once I got married, and I, that's, when I get married, that's when I made it, okay? That's the destination. Once I find someone that I can convince to marry me, that's when I would feel like I made it. That was the goal to get to. Um, and don't get me wrong, marriage is great, and I've enjoyed it very much so. Um, but it is not the end-all, be-all as advertised, right? If you're not married, let me tell you, you're not, you're not missing out on the pinnacle of human experience or anything like that, okay? Uh, but what's funny about those romantic movies is that we rarely see, um, we, we see people fall in love, we see them get to the wedding day, but we rarely see what, what happens next. You ever notice that? Like, we don't see the, the argument that they get into on the honeymoon, uh, we don't see the, the years of making it work and merging schedules and merging cultures, working, moving, paying bills, dealing with in-laws, raising kids, and all the real-life, day-to-day stuff. And when you do get married, you very quickly realize that marriage doesn't solve all your problems. It actually reveals them. All the married people said amen. <laughs> <laughs> marriage reveals your problems. It even magnifies them. When you get married, you start to notice things about yourself that you didn't even know were there. The truth is that when you get married, that's when the true work starts. Marriage is not the fairy tale ending. It's actually when the work begins. 
And as we sit here one week removed from Easter Sunday, where we celebrated the the greatest event in human history, the the true pinnacle of human experience, where we put our faith in Christ and we repent and follow him and he makes us new, the true wedding day, if you will, as as, uh, Jesus as the groom and his bride, us as his bride as the church, right? I can't help but wonder if some of us in here are sitting here one week later thinking, now what? We got to the wedding day, the destination, the tomb is empty. I put my faith in him. What now? But let me tell you, for the Christian in here, now is when the true work begins. Today we're talking about the Christian life. In light of the miracle of the resurrection, how would God have me live? What should the Christian life be marked by as I seek to live this out day by day? The big day has happened. What comes Next, we need these questions answered. We need a path so we're not wandering aimlessly. We need an example. And the Apostle Paul gives us exactly that in the book of Romans. This morning, the message is titled Life After Death. And we're going to be looking at select passages out of Romans 6, 7, and 8. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans 6. While you're getting there, um, let me catch you up to speed on what's happening uh, in this letter so far. Romans is written by the Apostle Paul, who was formerly known as Saul. Saul was a persecutor of Christians uh, until he met Jesus, and his whole life was changed. His name got changed to Paul, and God used him to uh, bring his message of the gospel across the world. He wrote much of the New Testament that you know and love today. And here in Romans, Paul is giving us an honest look of who we are, how messed up we are as human beings. God has this law that we can't quite measure up to. And because of that, Jesus has to come down. He fulfills the law. He dies. He raises up from the grave. And now we're saved through our faith in him. We are justified, he said, or declared righteous. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has already done. Alva J. McLean says that we're not just merely pardoned of our sin. He's, in fact, our whole slate is cleared, and we stand before God as if we have never sinned. How beautiful is that? That we stand before him just as, we're as, as, as if we're as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. Saved by grace through faith. So now what? What do we do with that? Paul starts us out in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, well then, in light of all that, well then, Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So Paul asked this question, should we keep on sinning so grace may abound? Which might seem a little bit silly, right? But there's a reason why it's in here. Because if we're honest, many of us have asked this question before. Some of us still live in this mindset today that if, if, God forgives, uh, if God forgives me when I sin, should I just keep on sinning so he can give me more grace? I mean, I'm, I'm letting him do what he does, right? I'm letting him do his job. I'm playing my part so he can do what he does. He forgives people. In fact, God needs me, right? He needs me to sin because if I'm not sinning, then what's he going to do? Like, he needs to do his job, right? So I'm helping him. <laughs> and it's scary what we can justify when... We're blinded by our sin. We can make the most outrageous things make sense in our own minds. So should we keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, highlight that, died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? We're looking at the Christian life. How are we to live in light of the resurrection? The first order of business for the Christian is the call to die. Everyone say the call to die. 
You need to be a little bit louder than that. The call to die. All right, here we go. Here we go. You might say, Pastor Steve, what do you mean the call to die? Doesn't God want me to live? I mean, Jesus says he comes to give life and life abundantly, life to the full, right? And yes, he absolutely does. But how do you live abundantly? By dying. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Verse 3, he says, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. The old is gone. The dead is, is gone. The new life is here. You are a new creation, like 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. And so when you're given a new life, you act accordingly, right? When you go from single to married, you act accordingly. You act married. When you go from no child to a parent, you act accordingly. You act like a parent. You, can't, you don't go back. <laughs> you can't go back. And so when you go from death to life, you live brand new. Jesus has raised you from the dead. Why would you go back to the grave? We're dead to this life. Verse 6, he says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. You know what this verse tells me? It tells me that sin once had power over me, that there was, there was nothing that I could do, right? If I was tempted, I was going to fall. If it took me left, I was going left. If it took me right, I was going right. There was nothing that I could do. I was a slave to it, but I am a slave no more. It reminds me of the verse in Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If you want to live, you got to die. Die to your flesh, die to your will, die to your way, die to your lust, die to your ego. Dying to yourself actually brings life. In the book of Exodus, the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, um, and they were the recipients of some of the greatest miracles ever recorded, right, in, in, in all of history, right? They, they saw 10 plagues come down on their oppressors in Egypt. We're talking about the, the Nile River turning into blood. We're talking about hail. We're talking about locusts and frogs and, and whatever, yeah, everything else. There's so many uh, that they saw. They also saw God part the Red Sea on their escape out. He parts the Red Sea with it so that the whole, whole population can walk all the way through it, that they can escape their enemies. And then once they get all the way through, it collapses on their pursuers, they also saw the, the, miraculous, uh, the miraculous manna fall from heaven. They're out. They're free from slavery. They're out on their journey. They're trying to go to the promised land. They're thinking, what am I going to eat? Oh, don't worry. God's just going to send bread at your doorstep every single morning, miraculously. They saw a pillar of, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire. by Think about seeing a pillar of fire every single night leading you to where you're going to go. These are all miracles that the Israelites saw. They saw all of these miracles, and yet... They couldn't let go of their sin. They couldn't die to themselves. They had been freed externally, but they were still slaves internally. God's plan was to bring his people right out of Egypt and into the promised land. He wanted them to settle down there and to flourish there. Um, and the trip to the promised land, if you actually look it out ge geographically, and the Bible actually says this, from where they were to the promised land uh, was an 11-day trip. 
Those of you guys that know the story know that the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And so an 11-day trip turns into a 40-year wandering, not because they were lost, but because they refused to die to themselves. Why 40 years, you might ask? Well, God, God was waiting for the old generation to pass so that the new generation could inherit his promise. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that the old had to die so that the new could live. And for you, the old you has to die so that the new you can live. Jesus has freed you externally, but you will still live as a slave internally until you die to yourself. You got to live dead. How do you overcome temptation now? You got to live dead. I love uh, Pastor Tim Ross. He says the, the phrase, he says, dead man can't be tempted. Dead man can't be tempted. Dead bodies can't give in to temptation when it comes their way. Why? Why? They're dead, right? <laughs> he says the easiest way to pass a test is as a dead man. Dead man can't be tempted. Jesus' words himself, he says in Luke 9, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whatever loses their life for my sake will find it and will save it. You know the movie, uh, The Terminator? Old movie. Some of my students, you probably won't get this reference, but... Terminator 2, one of the best movies ever. It's, I think it's a rated R movie, though. I probably shouldn't be talking about it on stage. God speaks through everything, right? One of the most famous, um, there's a lot of famous quotables in that movie, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's the main, you know, main guy in the movie. And he, he, one of his main uh, quotes, most famous quotes, that he extends his hand to the main character of the movie who's in distress. She doesn't look like she's going to make it. He extends his hand to her, and he says, come with me if you want to live. Except he says it in his monotone robot, come with me if you want to live, right? <laughs> well, Jesus, it makes me think of Jesus, he says, says something similar to you. He says, hey, die with me if you want to live. The wages of sin is death. It will kill you. But Jesus puts sin to death so that you can too. And that's the call to die. That's the call to die. Point number two today is the reality of the tension. Everyone say the reality, reality. of the tension. The reality of the tension. So we have the call to die, to, to die to ourselves. but if we're honest, we're still kind of stuck in this struggle, right? I mean, who in here is still a sinner? Raise, a hand, raise your hand if you're still a sinner. I should see all the hands up. If, you're, if your hand's not up, then you're, you're sinning right now, okay? You're lying, <laughs> all right? So we're all still sinners in here. If we're honest, we're sin we probably sin every single day, right, multiple times. And we know that sin is wrong, but we do it anyway. It's kind of like a bad habit. Uh, for example, I have a few bad habits. Um, one of them, and my wife can't attest to this, is that I love falling asleep on the couch. Um, and you might think, what's wrong with falling asleep on the couch, right, as long as it's voluntary, right? And um, she hasn't kicked me to the couch yet. Don't worry, guys. Um, but typically, there's nothing wrong with falling asleep on the couch 
um, unless it happens every single night, right? And it's not a good uh, thing. And I don't, I'm be honest with you guys, I don't know what my problem is, okay? Allie, Allie works night shift uh, sometimes as, as a nurse. She works night shifts a, a few nights a week. And so when she's not home, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm downstairs. We don't have a TV in our bedroom, so I'm downstairs. I'll turn the TV on. Uh, I'm a big LeBron James fan, so I watch the Lakers games. They play West Coast time, so their, their, their games are on pretty late. Um, so I'm up super late watching those. Uh, I'm trying to catch up on my reading because I'm really behind on my goal for the year, right? I, I've been reading Jordan Peterson's book because everyone seems to like him here, so I'm trying to figure out, like, what this guy's about, right? And, and it's, a good, it's a good book, right? But don't get me wrong, it's, I, I'm enjoying it, but he can get a little long-winded sometimes, and so you, you catch me at the, at the wrong hour, you know, in the right corner of the couch, I'm knocked out, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping, I'm falling asleep down there about every single night, right? And so, but then I wake up at, you know, one in the morning, sometimes as late as three o'clock in the morning. I'm waking up and, you know, my day is over before it even began, okay? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm all disoriented. I'm getting up from the couch. My back's broken. I'm trying to walk up the, the stairs, try to get a few hours of sleep in my bed before my day starts. And it's not good. It's not a good situation. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, and I know it's not good for me, but, you know, the next night rolls around, and it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, you know, I've got, I'm starting to get a little tired downstairs. I got the game playing in the background. I get my blanket over me. I'm, get, I'm getting right into, you know, the right, right corner of the couch, you know, the, the, the most comfy part of the couch. I got Jordan Peterson's book in my lap, right? And I'm just kind of like, you know what? Um, uh, let me just, it would be really nice if I just close my, let me just close my eyes for a second. And then boom, I'm, I'm down there to three o'clock in the morning again. And it's kind of funny, it's silly, lighthearted, bad habit, but um, the reality is that isn't that how sin works sometimes in our life? That we know it's wrong, but in the moment, you know, you catch me at the wrong time with just the right temptation. Let me just close my eyes for a second. Or how about this? Let me just dwell on that thought just a little bit longer. Or I'm going to take just one more glance. Oh, just one last time and I'll be done. How many of us have believed the lie of one last time? That's the lie that the enemy uses to keep you in bondage. Paul continues in Romans 7. He says, so the trouble is not with the law. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't, I don't understand myself, for I, do, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Do you see the tension in this man? Do you feel the tension within yourself? We still have this sin nature that's at war with the new nature in Christ. And we live in the reality of this tension, the struggle between the two. And sometimes we resist the temptation, but sometimes we give in. Jerry Bridges says that the closer that we get to God, the more aware we are of our sin. Kind of like how a marriage reveals your issues, intimacy with God is going to show us things that we didn't even know were there. And some sins are obvious, right? I don't need to name certain things because you already know that they're wrong. So most sins, you know, some sins are pretty obvious. You don't need me to spell them out for you. But there's other sins that we kind of just fall into, and I'm convinced that all of us are affected or fall into these sins somewhat pretty regularly, right? Think about worry. The Bible says do not worry. How easy is it to just worry about something? 
Think about gossip. How easy is it for me to just open my mouth and start talking about someone, not even realizing that I'm doing it? Or how about envy? I look at something that I, I want and jealousy or even just a lustful thought that just pops in my mind out of nowhere, right? And even if I don't act on it, the thought itself is sin. Jesus says so. And pride, oh, pride is the craziest one, okay? Tim Keller says that pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently and slowly kills you without you even knowing. Pride is actually at the core of every sin. Here's how sneaky pride can be and sneaky, how sneaky sin can be in general, right? I remember that I was really struggling with bitterness um, this, at this one point in my life. This guy had done some things that hurt me, and I was not letting it go, right? I was hanging on to the anger, and it turned into bitterness. And how many of you know when you hang on to anger too long, it's kind of like leaving, uh, leaving spoiled food out in the fridge for too long. It kind of just, just rots your insides and sours your heart. Right? And so I, I knew that the bitterness was not right. I felt it, but I would not let it go. I thought that I had a righteous anger. We always think that we have, we have all right, my anger is righteous. I have the right to be mad. Right? They, they wronged me. We always think our, our anger is righteous. But God had to show me the sin that was really behind all of it. He actually had to show me that you can't stay angry at someone unless you feel superior to them. You won't forgive them because you're saying that I would never do something like that. And the thing that you did to me, I, could ne- I would never do something like that. How could you? As if you're not capable of hurting someone. You're saying that you're a better person than them. And that's rooted in pride. And that was me. I, I had to repent. I-, I may have had the right to be mad, but I had no right to be bitter. I had no right to sin. Sometimes our sin nature is so deep. I say that to say that our sin nature is just so deep and layered sometimes that we just fall into things without even realizing it. It doesn't mean that we're off the hook. It's just the reality that we're, we're more messed up than we can ever imagine. So what do I do with that? I love God, but I can't help but fall, and you feel dirty. You don't feel like yourself. You stay stuck in, in the sin zone, right, where, where you're just kind of, you gave into something, and you're overwhelmed with guilt. Your head hangs low. You just feel like you're scum of the earth, right? And it feels like a lose-lose because, God, I'm trying to get closer to you, but the closer I get to you, the more sin I see in myself. Paul closes out chapter 7 by saying, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin, to the sin that is still within me. And hear his despair here. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he answers his question in the very next verse as we get into the last point. Verse 25, he says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The last point today, number three, is the tools of grace. Everyone say the tools of grace. So the call is to die, but we can't stop sinning. So how do we overcome? Well, God gives us the formula through Paul in Romans 8, maybe my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. Verse 1, Paul says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
And don't just gloss over this, right? If you are in Christ, you are not condemned. The guilt that you feel, the shame that you feel that, that keeps you down in the sin zone, don't stay there. Look up to what he did. He does not condemn you. Not only does he not condemn you, but he gives you the tools that you need to overcome. The three tools of grace are kind of going to be some subpoints in here. The, the three tools of grace, the first one is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. There's going to be a couple more little bit of subpoints in here, but the Holy Spirit, let's make a note of what the Holy Spirit does. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does is that he frees you. Everyone say free. free. Holy Spirit frees you. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So the supernatural work of freeing you from the power of sin is done by the spirit. The, what you once could not resist, now you can. Doesn't mean that, to, that the temptation will not come, right? Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean temptation will flee. In fact, you're probably going to face more temptation now that you're a Christian. But now, now you can say no to it. You couldn't say, you couldn't help yourself before. Now you have a choice. You're free. We see the ultimate picture of this in Jesus, who was full of the Spirit. He was still tempted. Jesus was, te if Jesus was tempted, you can bet you're going to be tempted, okay? Jesus was tempted. In fact, he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. He was tempted by the devil himself who met him there. 40 days, like the Israelites, 40 years. But where God's people failed, the Son of God overcame. He was free in the Spirit. The Spirit helps you overcome. And he shows you a way out of every temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So now there is no temptation, I'm sorry, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. There is always a way out of every temptation. God doesn't leave you with no hope. you got to just look for the exit sign, and the Holy Spirit will help you see that way out in the midst of your temptation and give you the strength to take that exit. And that same Spirit that was in Jesus dwells within you. Romans 8, 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. The po that, power, that power to defeat death is in you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he lives in you. Last thing on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit assures you that you are his child. Romans 8, verse 14 to 16 says, For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. So you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we may call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit bears witness. He testifies that we are God's children. It makes me think of, of like a courtroom in the court of law that Satan is trying to uh, argue that you are not fit to be his child. 
He's trying to convince you that you're too dirty or you've done too much or you know what you did. You know, you know who you really are. If they only knew, oh, if they only knew who you really were. But guess, you know, guess who does know? God knows. God knows who you really are. And you think he wants you as his child? You're a joke. You're a joke. That's what the enemy is saying to you. But in that courtroom, the Holy Spirit is your defense attorney. The Bible calls him the advocate. And against the accusations, with parts of, which parts of it may be true, I am a sinner. Parts of it may be true, but the Holy Spirit is there saying the adoption is final. He declared you as righteous. You are his child. When we are fearful, when we have doubts, what cures our doubts? Usually assurance, being sure. And so the assurance that we are his child leads into the second tool of grace. The Holy Spirit was the first one. The second one is the assurance of God's sovereignty. Romans 8.28 says that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I know I said I'm a LeBron guy, but I can, I can acknowledge that Michael Jordan won more championships, okay? Jordan won more championships. I still defend LeBron, but Jordan won more championships. When Michael Jordan was on your team, the guy won six championships, okay? And his team was going to win. They had the utmost. When you have Jordan on your team, you know you're going to win the championship. If the game is close, you say, hey, Jordan, take the ball. Take us to the promised land, okay? And you, have, you know he's going to take care of business. You have the utmost confidence in his ability. But even more so... When you know you have the sovereign God of the universe on your side, you fear no one. You fear no force. You fear no man. God holds it all in his hands, and his plan for redemption will come to pass. Oh, there's a famine in the land that's going to wipe out my people? No problem. I'm going to take Joseph, the one that you brothers sold into slavery. I'm going to make him the head of Egypt so all of my people will survive. Now, Mordecai, you know, he, he, he got the king to sign off on the genocide of all my people. He signed off, stamped it, it's done. No problem, I'm going to take Esther. I'm going to put her in a position to be the king's favored wife. She will deliver my people. Or how about this? My people are being persecuted by the Pharisees. I'm going to take the most notorious Pharisee. I'm going to turn him into the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, and he will be the one to take my message across the world. Generations will see that my will will be done. This God whose plan is unmovable, whose way will always come to pass, who can use a donkey to talk, who could use a stone to slay a giant, who can use a virgin to give birth, is the God who is your father. He is your dad. And if he is for you, who can be against you? We have nothing to fear. He'll work it all out together. And the last tool of grace is the promise of his everlasting love. These will be the last verses we read, and these are my two favorite verses in the whole Bible. Romans 8, 38 and 39. He says, For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will, be ever to, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's love is so big and so great that nothing could ever separate you from it. He mentions a whole bunch of different situations. He mentions death nor life, right? Can anything stop? We know he's never going to stop loving us, but can anything ever separate us from it? Can death separate me from him? Let's think about this. He says all things work, right? All things work together for my good and his purpose. How can he use, how does he use death? Well, does death separate me? No. What does the Bible say? He says to die is gain. Death is not going to separate me from him. It's just going to take me to him. What about, he says, angels, he, not, neither angels nor demons. He's talking about fallen angels, demonic beings, all these things, right? Can they separate me from God? Sounds kind of big. Sounds, sounds kind of scary. We don't really know about this supernatural stuff, right? Can they separate me from God? It reminds me of 2 Corinthians where Paul says that he was given a thorn in his flesh. He called it a messenger of Satan. And what did that thorn in his flesh do? It made him weak. But did it separate him from God? What does God say? He said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. All things work. But do you know what the real kicker for me was in all this? He says, he says nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from his love. In other words, in case I forgot anything, okay? I've listed all these things, but in case I forgot anything, this includes everything. Everything ever created. And when I thought about it, I realized it included me. That I can't even separate myself from him. Now, does my sin separate me from him? Yes, absolutely. But the point is that if I am his, he would not let me go from his hand. If I walk away, if I am truly his, I will come back. He'll bring me back. Nothing can separate me from his love. No matter what I do, his love is coming after me. He's not like us. We only have so much patience with people. Someone lets me down so many times, okay, that's it, cut you off. God's not like us. Your sins can outnumber the, the grains of sand on a beach. He will still have more grace than you have sin. I said he still has more grace than you have sin. Nothing can separate you from his love. Which points us back to the cross. And we could put the graphic up there. Thank you. We're reminded of, of what happened on Easter when Jesus died and rose and defeated death that we may have life. And it allows us to begin again. It allows us to live dead. The results of the cross lead us to the call to die, to die to our sin, to die to our flesh, to put our sin to death. And now you can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's in you. Sin has no power over you. Live dead. And as you live in the reality of the tension, there, there will be moments undoubtedly that you fall. But when you do fall, use the tools of grace to get back up and overcome the Holy Spirit, the assurance of God's sovereignty, the promise of his grace, and it comes full circle because as you notice, 
the promise of his everlasting love points you to the cross where his grace was poured out, his love was poured out for you. You might say, Pastor Steve, well, isn't this just a cycle? Are we just going in circles for the rest of our lives? Do we ever get out of this? Well, I'll tell you this. The Christian life is life full of repentance. You're going to be repenting to the day you die because you're going to be sinning to the day you die. We won't get out of this completely until we're, we're with him in glory one day. And man, what a glorious day that will be. You have eternity to look forward to. But in the meantime, the more you walk with Jesus, the more you become like him, and the more you become like him, you're going to be a lot more successful at putting your sin to death. You're going to spend a lot more time living dead than you are falling into your sin. And when you do fall into your sin, you're going to be a lot quicker to look up to the cross, remember what he did for you. You're going to be a lot quicker to pick up the tools of grace and to call on the Holy Spirit to trust in God's sovereignty. You're not going to stay stuck in a sin zone anymore. Call on the Holy Spirit. Trust in his sovereignty. You know he's going to use it for good. Remember the cross that there's nothing in all creation that can separate you from his love. And that will lead you to live dead. The Christian life is a life of repentance and remembrance. When you repent, remember what he did. Because it all starts and ends with the cross. Would you all stand with me? I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I would ask that everyone pray with me, repeat after me. There's nothing special about my words. It's about the heart behind it, right? And the Bible says that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And maybe you're here tonight, today, and you, never, you realize you never actually received Christ. Maybe as you're thinking about it, you're realizing that you've just been playing church this whole time. Or maybe you have, and you just need that reminder to remember what he did for you that Easter morning. I want to invite everyone to pray with me, no matter who you are. Let's pray. Repeat after me. Father, I come before you a sinner, knowing that I fall short, knowing that there's nothing good in me. But Lord God, I come before you and I believe that Jesus was your son. I believe he died. I believe that he rose. I believe that he defeated death for all time and for me. I put my faith in you. I trust you. Lead me into new life. Life abundant. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you made that decision today, the, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices with you. In fact, can we, can we rejoice with anyone that made, made that decision today?
Listen, if you made that decision today, I want to encourage you, before, before you leave here, tell somebody about it. If you came with a friend, tell them about the decision that you made. If not, then come find me. If we have any prayer partners, if you guys wouldn't mind sticking around just a little bit after service just to you know, be around. But we would love to, I'll stick around as well. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to encourage you uh, myself. Um, but man, thank you guys so much uh, for being, being here, being here this morning. We have new life in him, amen. Um, we're going to dismiss. If you have BCC kids or you have uh, students in the happy place, um, we, you can go ahead and grab them. The rest of you guys, as you guys leave, remember what he did for you this morning. Celebrate that and take it with you. I'll be up front. Prayer partners, if you don't mind sticking around just for anybody, that would be awesome. God bless. We love you guys.